0: Welcome back, or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, we talk with Sophia Laukley, an Olympic level Nordic skier and Solomon sponsored trail runner based in Salt Lake City, Utah. She's made a big impact on the sub ultra trail running scene this year with wins at the Broken Arrow 26K Sky Race, a podium at Whiteface, and looking ahead, she will be on the Euro Circuit this summer racing at Sierra's and all among other notable high-profile events. Uh, In this conversation, we talk about growing up in Maine, her rise in the sport of Nordic skiing, how she prepared for and competed at the 2022 Beijing Olympic Games. I apologize in advance, I think I said Tokyo during the conversation. And then we also talk about her entry into trail running and how she plans to manage her interest in both sports over the next couple of years. Before we get started though, I have a few discount codes for listeners. For Kodiak Cakes, use Single Track 15 to get 15% off your next order. For Inside Tracker, go to Insidetracker.com backslash singletrack to get 20% off your order. For Athletic Greens, go to athleticgreens.com backslash singletrack. That link is gonna give you free vitamin D pills for a year as well as five free travel packs when you sign up for a subscription. These deals are possible because Single Track is now brought to you by the following sponsors. First, Kodiak Cakes. I'm super stoked about this partnership, almost as stoked as Chris Mako when he secured a similar deal with them back in the Mako show days. But seriously, if you're like me, your weekend long run is followed up with a big stack of pancakes. And let me tell you, Kodiak cakes taste great, they're whole grain, and they come with extra protein. So if they aren't already, they should be the centerpiece of your post long run pancake situation. But hey if pancakes aren't your thing that's okay they also make great oatmeal which i've incorporated into the weekday breakfast routine and finally kodiak cakes is based in park city utah and there's just something cool about being aligned with a local company so use that promo code singletrack15 on their website checkout to get 15 percent off your next order second inside tracker this company is awesome you get your blood drawn you answer some lifestyle questions you upload the data and they analyze the results and provide an action plan with the most accurate, personalized recommendations about where you can improve when it comes to the food you eat and the supplements you take so that you can solve that critical diet part of the training equation. Think of it like having your own personal data-driven nutritionist and an app. To get 20% off your next order, just go to www.insidetracker.com backslash And that deal is going to apply at checkout. And yeah, I am taking my own inside tracker test later this month. I look forward to sharing the results with all of you just to provide insight into how I personally use their platform to guide my diet, um, choices and ultimately to reach those training and racing goals as well. Finally, athletic greens. I started taking their AG one product about three years ago. So in my mind, this partnership is a long time coming. It has since become a part of my morning routine to ensure that I am covering all of my nutrient bases and absorbing all of those whole food sourced vitamins, minerals, probiotics, adaptogens, you name it, that I need to round out my diet so that I'm ready to train hard. And yeah, there's a theme here. Think of it like nutritional insurance. It's lifestyle friendly as well. So it works for you whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, gluten-free, And it costs less than $3 a day, which I know some of you out there, sometimes myself as well, is uh, less than you spend on that daily cup of coffee. So if you want to arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition like I do, as I said, go to athleticgreens.com backslash singletrack to get free vitamin D pills for a year as well as five free travel packs when you sign up for a subscription. Um, so there you have it. Kodiak Cakes, Inside Tracker, Athletic Greens, proud sponsors of the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's get started. All right, Sophia Lowkley. Welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Thank you. We were just talking offline that we have a mutual Maine connection. You grew up in Yarmouth, I was based in Cape Elizabeth and anytime I meet a fellow Mainer on the scene, it's awesome. So maybe talk a bit about what life was like growing up there and how that contributed to what we will ultimately talk about today, which is your passions Nordic skiing and mountain running.
1: Yeah, totally. So I think, I mean, you, since you are familiar with Maine, it's maybe not like the most conducive area for trail running and Nordic skiing. So like part of it, both of my parents were skiers. And so that kind of already had me in the skiing world. Um, and, I went to Yarmouth High School, which had a very, like, legit um, high school program, and so it was nice to have that um, to really get me into the sport. Um, because oh, the rest of Maine, like, now that I've skied with kids from Vermont and New Hampshire, like, it's definitely a, a bit more. Um, they have a lot of clubs and a lot of programs in these in those other states, and so it was definitely. I would say a bit more of a struggle to like really take the next level um with skiing just because maine didn't have necessarily most programs going on um with that being said though like i grew up i mean i've been skiing since i was two or three and i have my dad's nerve from norway so (laughs) i had that connection um and then i guess like with the trail running aspect i didn't really get into it in Maine I would say because I was I lived on the coast there wasn't a ton of cool trails to go on and then I started going out west to train for skiing more and that's when I like really got like eyes were open with what trail running could be Um, because I definitely like remember back in high school I was big into soccer and I ran one year of cross country and kind of hated it because it was just like golf course running and I don't know, not too exciting. And so I was a little bit turned off from running at first um, and really stuck to skiing. But then because skiing involves a lot of running for training um, and then I got that exposure to these cool trails at West, um, that's kind of what solidified it, yeah.
0: Cool. And, you know, we also share that mutual connection in Salt Lake City, which we will talk about in a second, but just a little bit more on the main scene. It's interesting. I think you're totally correct that... The southern Maine, Portland area probably isn't the most conducive to Nordic, but it's interesting that folks like yourself, and then she's closer to my age, but if you're familiar with Claire Egan, who was an Olympic biathlete, also raised in the area and competitive at the Olympic level. A couple other folks I went to high school with, Elise Moody Roberts was really great back in the day. And if you go way back in time, I mean, folks like Joan Benoit Samuelson. So it's interesting that there's this tradition of great athletes like yourself coming out of the area despite maybe the landscape not being the perfect grounds as opposed to a place like Utah, which is it's a destination for this stuff.
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm almost grateful for it because I know like Claire too, we both kind of started taking skiing, skiing more seriously, like a bit later in our, I think she was like after high school, but I was like my junior, senior year that I really started getting into it. And I think because of that, like it's just been a bit more sustainable that I wasn't like in fifth grade, just grinding all year. Um, and so because I got to it later, um, I think like I was able to explore all these different things and then really set, set in on skiing. And I also think I know like Claire, I'm assuming did had the same situation where it was like a lot of training on your own and it took a lot of like self-motivation and I found that to play a really big role in, like, where I am today, Um, learning to, like, find that drive um, when you don't always have people around you to push yourself. So, like, even though Maine maybe didn't have the greatest environment for um, skiing and, like, the greatest opportunities, like, I think it also played really big roles in my success now.
0: So it sounds like in middle school and high school you weren't a one-track mind or a one-track athlete like you dabbled in other sports and there was quite a bit of balance.
1: Yeah I definitely I was pretty big into soccer and especially middle school Um, and I yeah I don't know I played like tennis and lacrosse like I and I, I always skied in the winter but it was never like a I never trained outside of the season, I guess. Um, And now, like, my whole year is basically ski training. Um, And so, yeah, I think I had – there was definitely my parents were my coaches in middle school, which was a little bit of a challenge with skiing. And I think that also made me want to test out other sports because I wasn't sure how I, like, felt about actually wanting to pursue skiing. And then when I got to Yarmouth – High school, and like found like that team was definitely a key aspect in me wanting to pursue it after high school. Uh, it was just such a cool community um, so yeah
0: I'm admittedly uneducated in this part of the world, like Olympic development programs and stuff, but I think I had this stereotype in my head that from the age of five onward, an athlete like yourself was identified, and then you go all in on that sport to the exclusion of everything else. And that would explain why you are where you are at the age of, you know, twenty, twenty-two. But it's pretty cool that, and, and you exemplify this perfectly, that you can be this well-rounded athlete through childhood, dabbling in a bunch of stuff. And then when you determine the time is right and you want to invest, you can simply flip that switch, like in college, for example, and and take that route. It's still there for you.
1: Yeah, totally. And I mean, I don't know if that's possible with every sport, but I think with Nordic skiing, especially like I've talked to a lot of other athletes and how their experience with other sports has totally helped them today. Um, and not completely setting their sights on it. in when they were in elementary school, um, I think, I mean, there's plenty of skiers who did do that and they're very, they're doing very well today too, but There's definitely like a lot of routes you can take.
0: Right. Well, one more thing before we close the book on your background in Maine. I do for a second want to spend some time propping up the Northeast mountain running and ski scenes because I think that areas like Sunday River and Sugarloaf are cool. And same goes for the White Mountains in New Hampshire. And of course, you have the Appalachian Trail and Mount Katahdin. It's all so special. Given that you were only, you know, two hours drive from those areas, did you have any experience in those mountains?
1: I definitely spent quite a bit of time at Sugarloaf. Um, I I mean, I skied there in the winter, and then I started spending some more summer time there. And, like, those mountains are definitely pretty great to run in. And same with, like, um, New Hampshire, I like, Franconia and that area. Um, I think when I was full-time living in Maine, that I was still at a point where I wasn't Super super psyched on running and so I didn't get to explore it, but now like I have spent more time in Vermont training sometimes in the summer. And that's when I started to run, I guess, more in like the New Hampshire area and I actually appreciate that there is quite a good scene here as well. Yeah.
0: Is it true? Um sorry, I'm trying to rack my brain here. Isn't there some sort of Olympic program up in Prescott? I think that's it might've been where Claire Egan was training for the, uh, Olympic biathlon.
1: Yeah. I honestly am pretty unfamiliar with it. I think it's more biathlon oriented. Um, I was always kind of turned off by going super North in Maine <laughs> just because it's like middle, absolute middle of nowhere, not a whole ton to do. So, I mean, i I've, I've been there Fort Kent too in the winter and like the skiing is phenomenal there, but I never like did a lot of training there in the summer, but there is, there definitely is a pretty legit program.
0: Well, if you look back at maybe the first 20 years of your life, even before college, are there any particular things that you would pinpoint were setting you up to be this elite Olympic level athlete and not just in the Nordic world, but as we'll talk about in a second in the mountain trail running scene as well?
1: I think, yeah, I just think not Hmm, that's a great. <laughs> I think like the fact that I was able to have or I, I like grew up in this environment that wasn't so hardly focused on skiing has mm-hmm. made it possible now for me to be like I just appreciated that really strong balance and I had so much going on outside of the skiing realm that now I have an easier time like fully fully focusing on skiing but realizing how much I benefit from having other things going on outside because I do know there's been some points where I'm all in all in with skiing and training and I like that's not I can't really sustain that um and so growing or like getting into the sport when I had other things going on um that just it it helped me come up with a plan that um yeah I guess allowed me to be where I am today
0: Transitioning just a little bit, I know that you started at Middlebury College, which from what I understand has a great endurance sports tradition, but you ultimately made the jump to the University of Utah. And I'm curious, was that largely motivated by the fact that maybe there were more opportunities from a competition standpoint at a Division I Nordic program like Utah?
1: Yeah, well, what's interesting about skiing is it's not it's a pretty small sport so we actually all compete against each other um like so like d3 schools the skiing is still technically d1 so middlebury was d1 for skiing but it was a d3 school and that's mainly the reason i ended up switching was because like where i ended in high school like middlebury was definitely the right call um i wasn't like racing on the international level by any means and so I my first two years there were great and then I ended up making like huge jumps in my results and just needing a bit more support because I was traveling a lot and that's when the the D3 aspect of Middlebury kind of held me back and um why I decided to go to Utah is just even though like my competition wasn't really changing the fat like the resources at Utah are just incredible and the women's team there was incredibly strong, and that's, I mean, like most other sports, like training with people that are better than you and can push you, that's like the way to get better, and that, for me, was what drew me. And then, obviously, there's other benefits, um, like the just insane support and resources at Utah is pretty, it was very eye-opening coming from a place like Middlebury
0: and I'm sorry to interrupt but I'm I'm really curious what were some of the differences in resources between a program like Middlebury and a program like the University of Utah
1: I mean because Middlebury is D3 like the academic side is definitely the priority and I like initially went into college with that um but where skiing was taking me is I like needed some more flexibility and I I did want to continue my education and get the degree um and so going to a school like utah you have a ton of like athletic and academic support like navigating missing school and i mean i've been basically remote too like they have a lot more online offerings um and then beyond that there's just like pts and psych and nutrition nutritionists and um like great strength pro like strength coaches which yeah like just a school like a d3 school doesn't have the resources to provide that for their athletes um and so yeah that has just been pretty for someone who is definitely focusing a bit more on my athletics to have a school that can also provide those aspects was pretty key
0: very cool and I apologize for all the basic questions, but this is uh primarily a trail running audience and I'm absolutely fascinated. It's all very cool. And yeah, just curious, but with a school like Utah, is it pretty common for athletes in the program to think differently in an Olympic year? Because you mentioned offline that you are still in school. I think you have a year left, but you did compete in 2021 in the Tokyo games. So yeah, maybe walk us through how that opportunity came about and then what adjustments you have to make and what athletes in your position have to make in the day to day and in your college life to facilitate that.
1: Yeah. I mean, something that was pretty cool is there were two other Utah skiers who ended up going as well. And we were all like, it was cool that we had other people to relate to. We were all in the same boat, trying to like fight for these limited spots. And the fact that three of us ended up going. Um, it was very cool. And then there was, I mean, a couple other college kids too that went. And I think it was nice. Um, like I didn't really have to change much with school. Like I was totally online to begin with. Um, and what's interesting with the like Nordic skiing side of or Olympics is that there's not like one qualifying weekend or qualifying race. And so it was since, like, November through a week or a few weeks before the Olympics. It was, it was definitely, like, a pretty stressful time. We were all, like, each race we did mattered, and we all knew that. And I noted, like, it was very easy to pick up on based off of racing a bit last year on the World Cup, how much more pressure there was going into races um, and trying to like navigate and balance that, um, with your teammates, not just on Utah, but like on the U.S. team as well, because we're, we were all trying to, we were all had the same goals. Um, and so it was definitely a more, much more exhausting year mentally, um, with the racing aspect for the lead up to the Olympics. Um, but yeah, I guess with like Utah playing a role with that, it was, they wanted, like, they were just so supportive because they wanted their athletes to get the opportunity to go. And so they were, everyone that I worked with at Utah was making all the efforts to make it work.
0: You said something interesting there. And this question just comes to mind. You said that in the lead up to the Olympics, every single race mattered. And I'm always fascinated by folks like you because, um, yeah, you're still earlier in your athletic career. And yet you tend to deal with pressure. It seems a lot better than the general population. So what do you attribute that to? Are you working on the mental side of things frequently? Do you consult with a sports psych or maybe is this mindset thing, something that just comes naturally to you?
1: I I would say it's more natural. Like I've done so much racing now that I know there's a lot in your control, but there's a lot out of your control. And like you will have bad races and you'll have good races and I think it's hard to like I had a hard time with some of the races that like I was really excited about they were the distance or techniques that I'm normally better at and so dealing with just the expectation of doing better in those and then that not always living up just learning how to like I guess, process the fact that it's, like, not a fully consistent sport. Um, I think, yeah, I guess just with the mentality, even though every race did really matter, and a lot of the times you will be let down with your result, not necessarily because it's, like, a bad performance, but in this particular year, like, it just, you needed to do well. (laughs) And so... Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, it makes total sense because like in our sport and for context, I'm much more focused on races around the 100K and 100 mile distance and 50 mile distance where uh, just because of the nature of events, athletes might be racing two, three, four times a year at most. And because of that, there's a lot of hanging on those performances. But the way you describe it in your arena, there's a significant Mental benefit. It seems having the ability to race often and not put too much focus or pressure on any one specific performance just by virtue of Having a lot of shots on goal
1: Yeah, that's something like I'm just real or like now that I'm more familiar with some other runners and I'm used to racing like three times a weekend or every weekend throughout the winter And I'm talking to them and they're saying that they're doing three or four races a year. Um, and like that to me is like, that would be crazy to have to like, you're looking forward to these four races. And so, yeah, I'm sure it's way harder to, to deal with a letdown or going into that race, just so much more nervous. Um, because you don't have as many opportunities to show what you've been working on.
0: Tell us a bit about how Tokyo went for you, like what events you were competing in and, how everything turned out, stuff like that?
1: Yeah, it was honestly not. I was there for three weeks, and I only ended up racing once. Um, and so it was, it was a, a little bit tough because um, I went. The thing with, with, there were like eight girls, and no one had like guaranteed starts, and so I went as an alternate for quite a few of the races, um, and that's why I was there the whole time. And my my like specialty with skiing is the distance races, and so we got four starts for all the distance ones. Um, but I ended up only getting the thirty k start, which was on the very last day of the Olympics. And so I had these three weeks where I was just trying to stay motivated for that race. Um, and I mean, it was definitely pretty COVID strict and so dealing with maintaining that motivation was definitely a challenge. Um, But at the same time, I was just, like, the 30K, it was a skate race, um, and that was just, the combo was perfect. Like, I was so, so excited for that race. And the courses I had been training on the whole time, and they were, they suited me super well. Um, And so I definitely, like, I was able to stay excited the whole time. Um, And then the day came, and it was, horrendous weather. It was like the windiest thing I've ever raced in. And it was, I've never worn so many layers in a race. Um, and it was probably one of the gnarliest races I've done, but it was, it was very like the whole lead up was pretty surreal. Cause I, I didn't really want to, or I didn't, I don't think I fully let it sink in really until I was actually racing because there were so many things that could go wrong and all i wanted to do was get the opportunity to race once um and so that was like the biggest challenge for me was letting myself embrace that i was actually getting to race at the olympics and so i do remember like standing on the start line and then the gun going off and just kind of having a sigh of relief um that i that that i got that opportunity um And the race itself did go um, pretty well. I ended up, I was like, I had like a great result, and then I ended up doing a little mess up at the end and uh, going, because it was like a lap course. So we were doing quite a few laps, and I was just very tired at the end and accidentally missed the finish line. (laughs) Um, And I lost a couple places, but I know that's happened before, and people have lost medals, and so I was happy that that was not my uh, scenario
0: <laughs> yeah it's common in trail racing too
1: yeah i just did it this past weekend i raced a uh, white face and went the wrong way which was not ideal ideal
0: and we'll talk about it in a second but you still managed a podium too so
1: yeah yeah
0: <laughs> i have a couple more questions on the nordic front i'm curious because you know the olympics only happen once every four years uh, sometimes five years if there's a pandemic but Are you committed already to the next Olympic cycle? And if so, how do you prepare for something that's so far away? Like, do you ever just think about the gravity of that, that it's four years away? And yeah, just talk about that for a second.
1: Yeah, I'd say, I mean, what I took away from this Olympics was like, it was pretty cool. Like I appreciated the fact that I was going and I was going with zero expectations from myself or anyone else. Like there was no pressure to get a medal or really on any result specifically. And it was, I was grateful for that. But coming out of that, I was like, I I want to come back and I want to actually have the goal, like more specific goals, like whether, I don't know where I'll be in four years, but it would be crazy cool to have the goal of, of meddling. And so in that sense, I became like much more motivated, motivated to go four more years. Um, and it is it is definitely a bit daunting, because, yeah, like the ski training it takes a lot of sacrifices, like you can I've found balances and how to make it more sustainable, but it's still like life is pretty revolving around my training, and I do feel like I'm giving some stuff up in in that sense four more years it's it's a long time, and so. I, yeah, I go back and forth with, like, my motivation for that. But I am definitely pretty committed to at least going four more years.
0: What are the biggest sacrifices in that process, in your opinion, that you are consistently grappling with?
1: I think I, just, like, the training for Nordic seeing is so niche that you have to be in, like, a very specific like tra- like a place like there's very few places in the US where you have what you need for roller skiing and running and like I mean mainly the roller skiing is the challenge to find a place that has solid roller skiing cuz that's the basis of your summer training and like it's basically May 1st through March 31st is completely sac- like you got to make all your decisions for skiing basically And I've, I mean, I'm someone, I'm big on travel, I'm big on, like, doing socially things, and for me, that's been a hard part to give up, um, because, like, yeah, right now I'm in Vermont, and it's phenomenal training, but Vermont is pretty uh, isolated, (laughs) and so I, yeah, I guess, like, earlier this summer, I did quite a bit of training to kind of get out or traveling and doing more of the things that I would want to do if I weren't skiing. Um, And because like those months of the year are, they're important, but it's, it's more important to dial in your training this time in like early fall. So in that, yeah, I've, it's, it's been nice to figure out a way to better balance it and get what I I feel like I've been giving up, but I still get a taste of it. And so that's definitely helped.
0: Yeah. Well, if you're looking at the playbook for an aspiring Olympic medalist in your sport, is this something that you need to do full time? Or are you able to balance this with other projects and, you know, things like returning to school or taking on a job, stuff like that?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, most other skiers, I know we all have something else going on. Um, I think we do it for like the sake of having distractions and like if skiing isn't necessarily going well then you have other like motivators and things to put your energy into and i think whether it's like a job or school or just any other project i i know very few skiers that don't have that going on because we've realized like it plays a big part um and so I don't know what I'll do, because I guess I only have one more year of school, Um, but I will want to find something else to balance my time with, Um,
0: yeah. And where does mountain running come into the picture for all this? Is it something that's common for Nordic athletes to supplement with because it provides maybe certain beneficial training stimulus, or for you, does it just come from a place of fascination and joy, and that's why you're doing it?
1: Yeah, I think, no, it, it definitely, we do a lot of trail running for just, um, in our summer training. And I always like, I think it's not necessarily like, like, I don't really love to mountain bike or road bike. And that's also another training that a lot of skiers do. And so I would always really look forward to the trail runs we did. Whereas other people look forward to the bike rides. And I think that's, I never really considered, The racing aspect, I always just enjoyed running. Or I guess when I moved, like, I I think I mentioned this before, but, like, moving out west and actually seeing what, like, trail running and all the, like, what it actually meant and, like, the cool places you could go, that's when I really, that was two, three years ago, I would say. Um, And then I think I really... Kind of fell in love with it but during covid and so there wasn't really a big racing scene and so for me it was still just like just a recreational activity and then last summer um i was training in alaska and i had like i like we always we do like easy runs but we also do like running intervals and i always enjoyed those and so i was I was pretty, there's a lot, there's a pretty big trail running scene in Alaska. And so I did a bit of research and found some races and got into those. And yeah, I guess that was uh, the true spark for, (laughs) for trail running for me.
0: (laughs) One of the recurring themes on this podcast is just taking every chance we can get to prop up the Salt Lake City trail running scene. So give us some of your favorite trails and mountains and whatnot in the area.
1: Yeah, I guess like, I mean, I'm still discovering new places because I just moved there last fall. But for one, like, it's pretty incredible to me that I can do these three, four hour runs straight from my door. And I live in downtown Salt Lake and it's maybe like a 20 minute run to get to the mountain. But just like behind campus is forever trails. And those are awesome because they're so convenient. But I think... I've started to run a bit in Park City, and, like, those trails to me are just so, so fun. Um, just, like, I I do, there's just, like, the terrain is really fun, and the, I guess, like, I always thought Utah to be this dry, deserty place, um, but Park City I found to be just, like, incredible nature and incredible terrain of trails, and I would say that that's, Kind of my
0: favorite place to run. Cool. Well, at least as far as I can see on up, this has been your biggest year, just from a pure racing standpoint in the sport. Like you just won the 26 K at broken arrow, which is awesome. That was a deep field at Whiteface. You got on the podium. Um, I think you've done some Cirque series stuff in the past. I can see that you've got Flagstaff sky peaks on the docket later this year. So, um, I guess what I'm wondering is now that you've had a taste of the sport, Are you just like, I can't get enough. Like I need to keep investing or are you still mindful and keeping it at an arm's length because you know, the priority is Nordic skiing.
1: I know I did not know that I like broken arrow to me. That was like, I really enjoyed, um, like the Cirque series races last year were super fun, but broken arrow was definitely like a little bit of a turning point where I was, got really stoked on the idea of doing more of those types of races. Um, i had like I'd never done anything that long and I was a little bit daunted going into it but now I'm I'm kind of more into that distance um to yeah really sink in on like the endurance aspect of it I guess but I'm trying right now to like not get too too excited because I do know that I could I could definitely see myself like eventually committing to all like only trail running um but at like where i am right now i am trying to focus and i do want to focus a bit on skiing for at least through the next four years um but i feel like this year is kind of like an experiment of how to balance that with trail running because i don't necessarily want to like give up these opportunities to race running i just need to come up with a sustainable way to make both work. And so, yeah, I guess I'm going to hold back a bit on training or racing this first year. Um, but yeah, there's so many cool opportunities and so many cool races to do.
0: I was going to say, cause I know you are a Solomon sponsored athlete too. And I imagine you must be aware of the scene over in Europe with races like Zagama and the Mount Blanc marathon, etc. Does any of that appeal to you? Could you see yourself doing any of those races in future summers?
1: Well, I I actually am going to go do those this year. I'm going to do, yeah, I'm going to do the one in Norway, Strandafjord, and then I'll do Sierra (laughs) Zinal, which are just, I know, I'm just going to be over, like, past the tipping point there. I'm definitely really excited for the Sierra Zinal one. I mean, it's, I, I'm just starting to like learn a bit more about the trail running world. And, uh, yeah, I guess I didn't know how, like how iconic of a race it was, but I'm really, really stoked for that one.
0: I did want to ask this too. I'm curious how you are getting your education in the trail world, because I'm aware of a couple athletes in our sport that have crossed over from Nordic. Corinne Malcolm is one that comes to mind. I'm sure you're familiar with her as well. Are you, Turning to any folks like her for advice. Because, um, yeah, I'm just curious how you're approaching all the training for, honestly, some pretty marquee stacked races this summer.
1: I honestly haven't, like, made a conscious effort, I think. Not right now, like, it was really cool for me to meet and because I was living with a group of Solomon athletes for Broken Arrow, and that was, like, my first exposure to actual other trail runners and then just kind of speaking to other athletes after the race um like some of the other women that's I still have a very minimal knowledge so that's kind of like where uh I've gotten any information that I have now um so I haven't made like a true effort to to learn I guess and yeah because I guess I just don't really know where (laughs) where but yeah
0: So you're in Vermont right now, it's the middle of the summer. What does a typical training week look like for you? Like in terms of distribution, are you spending X amount of hours on roller skates or I don't know, is it called roller? Roller skis. Roller skis, roller skis, sorry. And then, yeah, I'm curious, like what portion of your training right now is devoted to time on feet for trail running, especially for a race like Sierra's and all. And I mean, yeah, that's like one of the, Super Bowls of, of that sub-ultra trail scene, right?
1: Oh, God. I mean, I – yeah, I'm trying to ma- – like, I haven't have completely altered my training um, for trail running, and I think I've found, like, a benefit to that for my running with, uh, like, trying to maintain quite a bit of roller skiing in it just so that I keep my legs fresh and try to, like, hopefully avoid injury. Um I found that to be very helpful but i do i am doing like a bit more running intensity but i would say hours wise like i i train close to 20-ish hours a week and there's maybe like i don't know maybe 60 40 for i do a bit more roller skiing to running um but like for a Broken Arrow, I definitely, like, the week or two leading up, I shifted a bit more to running and doing more running intensity. To I feel like I can... Like, I'm consistently running throughout the summer, and so it doesn't take a lot for me to really get into running shape. Um, but really dialing into the weeks closer leading up to the races is where I'll maybe start to alter my training a bit more. But for now, I'm definitely doing quite a bit of roller skiing. Yeah.
0: Let's go to the lightning round here and I'm going to put you on the spot. Unfortunately, could you ever see yourself at some point in the future diving into an ultra marathon? I'm talking 50 mile, hundred k, a hundred mile distance, stuff like that.
1: Yeah. It's funny that question. Cause to me like 20, 30 K is long, long distance for me. So I initially would say no, but, I really, I could maybe wrap my mind around 100, hundred, hundred k potentially. It would be definitely a few years down the line. <laughs>
0: what is a recent book, movie, podcast, TV show that you've consumed recently that you think might be a good recommendation for the audience?
1: Oh, man. I mean, this is slightly embarrassing, but I never read Harry Potter when I was younger, and so I just uh, went through the whole series this past year in a... I'm assuming everyone's read that, but I really, it was a fun, fun one for me to get into at this age.
0: I think that's a good call to action to reread the series. I was a fanatic, you know, 10, 20 years ago, but it's still amazing.
1: They're, yeah, they were great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> What's your favorite Harry Potter?
1: Um, I think the Prisoner of Azkaban.
0: Yeah. Three through five are excellent. Yeah. What is the best advice you have ever received and why?
1: Hmm. I think I've definitely like struggled in the past to not like, I guess the advice would have was just stay true to yourself. Cause I've in the athletic world, but also like the world or outside world, um, not I've been very influenced by what other people do and I not, or like acknowledging that, You should do your own thing do what you like trust yourself i guess um i found that to be super beneficial and bringing that more into my training and just like approach to everything basically is dial in what i need to do and learn from others but definitely stick to what you like what you know
0: well you may have already answered it there but if you could put a message on a billboard for all to see what would it say and why
1: ah okay um maybe a little bit different i would say like stay humble it's definitely something i strive to do and i'm assuming i don't always pull off but i always admire like others and i really look up to people who are very humble within athletics and everything and that's just always been a big goal of mine because it's very uh inspiring yeah
0: Cool. Well, Sophia, it has been a joy to have you on the podcast. We really appreciate your time. I think a lot of listeners are just becoming aware of you. So I imagine they will be excited to follow your trajectory from here on out. I will make sure to link to all of your social media in the show notes. But um, before we go, is there anything else you want to leave the audience with?
1: I cannot think of anything, but thank you for having me. This was great.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again.
1: Yeah, thank you.